This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hey, folks, welcome. Uh, thanks for turning out uh, 10 a.m., 10 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Still seems early. Um, I'm uh, Colin Anderson. I am VP of Content at Stitcher. And uh, basically every year I come to Podcast Movement, it seems like the questions are about, like, how big does my show need to be before I can make money from it? How do I get signed by a network? A lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, I use that premise as an excuse to bring together this group of uh, some of my favorite people in podcasting. Uh, so just to my left, Alison Marino uh, has worked at iHeart, Stitcher, Acast, Podcast One. Uh, founded Lipstick and Vinyl, which was uh, a phenomenal company that was built around like marketing and ad sales on podcasts, and particularly independent podcasts, which uh, was an exciting concept to me. So she's, she's got a ton of expertise around that. Next along, we've got Shirley Liu, who is, uh, what are you? You're Stitcher at Leading Strategy and Analysis at, at Stitcher. So Shirley came from like a marketing background first when I was working with her and is now someone that puts together the numbers for like is a podcast viable with us how much money do we think we can make from it uh, has a ton of that like data insight <laughs> uh, and then Harry Nelson at the end uh, was a producer at Earwolf uh, left took another job uh, pitched the show Dead Eyes to us I passed on it he made it a hit uh, now works at Hyperobject Industries, and uh, yeah, that's all you need to know about Harry. Uh, so that's the panel, and I wanted to just have them introduce themselves. So we'll start with Harry. Uh, what, what, are you what did you listen to on the way here? Oh, hi everyone. I'm Harry. Uh, I, I was listening to a show called Normal Gossip. Anyone ever heard of Normal Gossip? Check it out. Down take, download it on your phones now. I'm not involved with it. It's very good. It's uh, about gossip. About normal people, it's very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, it's a good good time. I don't see anyone taking out their phones. That's okay. Shirley, what are you listening to? Oh, should I um, <laughs> go for it? You Shirley. take it away, Harry. <laughs> Shirley, what are you listening to? I'm listening on the way here. I listened to caught up on a series about money from Hidden Brain, um, and also followed that up with catching up on Why Won't You Date Me, which has always been my favorite podcast with Nicole Byer. I am listening to a podcast that you should all listen to by Laura Mayer called Shameless Acquisition Target. She is a producer from This American Life and many, many other huge shows, and everyone's been acquired except her, so she's making this podcast and putting it up for sale, and listening to it is like a case study in how to build a beautiful show. And it's kind of information about like how you, how you fund it, and will people sponsor it, and things like that, right? She talks about all of it. She's very honest with it. Yes, the reality is kind of what we're going to talk about today, so yes. Great. Realistic, but optimistic. Wait, Colin, what are, what are you listening to? Um, I uh, opened my podcatcher on the plane and realized that everything was set to stream and not download. Uh, so I was, was cursing, cursing everything and watched that new Nicolas Cage movie. Um, so you're not, you don't have any favorite children is what favorite, you're The thing that I'm listening to at the moment is uh, Jamie Loftus' uh, Ghost Church, because Jamie Loftus is great. And uh, it's an interesting little documentary thing she's got going. Um, here's some of the things we're talking about today. I don't need to look behind me. There's a thing down here. Um, like I said, the questions of like, how do I make money uh, seems, seems very common. Just out of the people in the room, uh, who's already got a podcast? Hands in the air. Everyone. Great. 
who wants to make more money on their podcast. <laughs> there we go. There's the focus. Um, so that, and then something that I'm getting a lot in the last year or two as, as someone at, at Stitcher uh, who's, who's worked on uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend and Office Ladies is that the big shows are sucking up all the advertisers and how damaging are these like big shows to uh, smaller, newer, independent shows coming up. Uh, to which I always say uh, it's bringing new advertisers into podcasting. I, I like to put a positive spin on it. I think it's, it's kind of uh, advertisers and listeners, uh, but clearly it means that there's challenges for like selling ads if you're a, a smaller new show. Um, and then I guess that another question that comes up is like, when should I join a network? Um, which is a bit like you get actors and comedians going, should I get an agent? And you're like, no, not yet. You should like, <laughs> you need to be at a certain point before you want to be giving someone else uh, 20, 30% of your money. And, and like, what are the things that you should do yourself versus um, get help with? So we'll try and look at what those kind of thresholds for making money are. And then the, the kind of big enough to pay the bills side of it uh, also obviously depends on how big the bills are. Yes. So like how much you're spending on your podcast versus how much you can bring in. Uh, how much it costs to eat. <laughs> and that's something that Alison's done a bunch of work on in terms of like working with new podcasters coming in and going through some of those some of those numbers and costs. So, yes. Alison. Great, thank you. So, I founded an independent podcast network, meaning I started with zero shows. I didn't make the shows. All the shows were independent, right? So, they were already being made by other people. And so, what I've done today is uh, the next slide you're going to see is actually, we can go to the next slide. We're going to assume some things. So if you are doing a podcast yourself, meaning the, the next slide you'll see, these are the assumptions that I've made. So you're going to do a weekly episode. So one episode every week, which is what you should do to build an audience, be consistent. And it, I'm assuming that you have three mid-roll ads, meaning three ads in the middle of your show that are 60 seconds long and read in your voice. And those can be dynamically inserted, baked in, it doesn't matter. But I'm assuming three ad slots. I'm also assuming that you have two additional ad slots that are dynamically inserted that can come from your hosting platform. So it's a more passive way to get ads in a show um, without getting too technical. Um, if you have questions about how that works after, you can ask me. Um, so that's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming that you've sold all of these ads out in the numbers you're going to see next. Um, and then I'm assuming that your, your expenses are minimal. So the, the chart you will see comes from a much longer, more in-depth chart. But I'm assuming that your costs in the beginning, say each month, they're roughly $1,000 for the first couple months because you've purchased a microphone or two. You've maybe purchased um, a, mixer, a mixer box. You've purchased um, a subscription to some software that you can use to record like a Riverside.com, or sorry, Riverside FM subscription. You have purchased uh, stock music on uh, SoundHound for $30. You have purchased maybe a $10 subscription to Adobe, uh, the app that you can create cover art with. So you're making all of your own cover art. So it's completely done DIY. Uh, let's see what else. So then if you were to join a network, generally the network percentage that you split is the network will keep 30% and the podcaster, you the creator, keeps 70% of the net revenue from advertising. So 
don't lose your hats. This is not to discourage you. So what I, all those assumptions here have come to this. If you have- A lot have, of screen grabs of this slide. Everyone's like, this is how yeah, much. Yeah, I have a very detailed chart that um, I sell for $45 on a Fiverr, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so this is, uh, this can grow of course, but if you have 5,000 downloads per weekly episode, right? Your monthly total after you have sold those three mid-roll ads, the two dynamically inserted ads at a $25 cost per thousand, that's the general industry cost per thousand, right? So it's $25,000 to reach, $25, excuse me, to reach a thousand listeners. So that's what the costs are based on. If you have 5,000 downloads a week, then after paying the advertising agency's commission of 15%, because when the network sells an ad to an agency, they keep 15% as their fee, the ad agency, right? So now we're dealing with 85% of what's left. So of that 85% that's left, you, the podcaster, keep 70% and the network keeps 30%. This also includes a couple of hundred dollars from those passive ads that I'm including. So this gives you an idea of how long you have to podcast and how much you have to work to build an audience in order to make money podcasting. It's, it's not easy, it's possible, right? And this, this, this applies whether you are an independent or if you're a big network, because if a big network is making a show from scratch, they're dealing with the same economics in podcasts. That's all I have. Great, and then we were just saying uh, before uh, the session that Maybe something that's, that's changed a little bit in the industry is that the big networks are launching fewer of these shows without a track record uh, than they used to. So there's, there's maybe, if, if you're an unknown and this is your first podcast, you maybe need to go out there and just make it. Yes. Rather than be like pitching it to a network and have someone say, welcome, we're gonna pour thousands of dollars of marketing into turning this into something. Uh, and a lot of those big pop-up hits that we've seen, like the smartlesses and things, are from shows where they've launched it themselves and proven out the audience and are then able to like cash in and get and they're famous multi people. multi-million dollar deals. They're very famous people. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. But sure. famous people aside too, you know, it's like the, the idea of at least you, you have something to present or show that is, yeah, you know, a proven thing, even in a smaller, much smaller sense than a, a smartless goes a long way than yeah, just kind of words on a page, right? Nobody will give you money to make something until you've made something. Exactly. That's been my experience. Exactly. So you can't, everybody has an idea, right? So I knock on Spotify's door, I wanna make a podcast about my life with my cat. I'm 43 and I have a cat, sounds great, right? Um, yeah, thank you, we're very happy together. Uh, Spotify doesn't care, right? Like, I need to go make the thing and show that I've got skin in the game and that I've put in the work and that I can make a thing or else nobody's going to give you money. It feels like a good advertising category, though, right? You can get litter box I mean, ads, you can get cat litter, food yes, ads. Yeah. I mean, I'm onto something here. <laughs> Greenlit, in the room. <laughs> should have recorded that. We, yeah. Damn. Uh, so then, I guess, the, the network side of it and what, what you'd need to like pitch a network, uh, I'm going to put Shirley on the spot, but everyone can chip in on, on this as to uh, what the green flags are, what networks are looking for, um, yeah. Oh, we've got another slide on this that I we can do pull have up. Another slide. 
Luckily, so let me luckily there's, there's a, have there's you a work through this. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things. And if, and if there's other things that you guys also feel like um, are, are worth mentioning, please interrupt me. But, um, but I think, yeah, someone who day to day does look at a lot, a lot of pitch decks and um, shows that you know, people have started and just kind of parsing through that. I think that one of the number one things is your kind of the, the value that you're delivering to your listeners needs to be immediately clear. Um, kind of you know in non in less businessy terms, I guess it's how are you like enriching your listeners' lives day to day. It can you know whether that's utilitarian or or more entertainment. Um, you know that, that's that's really the like what kind of problem are you solving or how are you making their lives better and are you meeting your audience where where they are. Um, and a good example of this I've actually seen recently is um, uh, some, a show that I've seen really pop is the Laguna Beach Rewatch podcast, which sounds silly, but it's uh, it's the perfect you know to me it's actually the perfect it hits all the things you know nostalgia for like that 2000s era is really big right now. Um, they're they've grown up with their fans. They're looking at this like show teenage show that, you know, through an adult lens, and it's exactly what their fans and, like, listeners want at this exact moment, and that is huge. Is that a show we're working with, or is that you just, like, looking at uh, the industry? No, and, I wish like, it was a show we were working keep, with. <laughs> keeping an eye on things. Keep, yeah, I keep, keep my eyes peeled. Do you, like, follow the charts and things for that, that kind of stuff? Or? Yeah, yeah, and I will say it's, it's, you know, this industry has changed a lot. We've all been in, in this for quite a few years, and every passing year it does get kind of harder to stand out in the same way that, you know, we're all consumers of a lot of different types of, of media, and it's it's that like you have an ever long list of movies and TV to catch up on, right? It's the same thing. It's like there's just so much competing for our attention, and that definitely applies to podcasting, I think, too. But when you see a show pop, you know, there's always immediately a clear reason why, I think, and that's and a big part of that is is giving the people what they want, really. <laughs> and some of that's from from conversations uh, around this conference. Some of that is adding new people to podcasting rather than launching a show and getting existing podcast listeners. There was a bunch of talk about uh, that, that um, advertising for podcast listeners on other podcasts used to be like the gold standard because these people knew how to download podcasts already. But now the people that you're reaching with those ads already have their like seven podcasts that they listen to every week. So why would they why would they listen to yours? So yeah. maybe that's where like a Laguna Beach is, is like you're getting people that have never downloaded a podcast right. before. Yeah, it's like you almost have to think of like giving them something they didn't even know they needed in a way. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, other things though that we, we definitely look for are um, social, social engagement levels, kind of a, an, anything that shows that you can um, really make, make your fans do something and act, take an action, whether that's... Um, you know, hit the subscribe button, obviously, or if it's moving, you know, fans over from Instagram or Twitter to a different medium, you know, pod, creating a weekly listener of a podcast is, is habit building. It's not as easy as scrolling on social media. It takes a lot of work to really build and turn someone into a dedicated listener. So how, how do you like forecast that? Like, what, what do you look at to like, one, I guess there's just, does someone have a lot of followers on different platforms? But, but what happens after that? <laughs> um, then, then you know, we start looking at well, how many people are actually watching your videos. You know, there's we all follow a lot of people, right? It's the same kind of concept where uh, how much, how many people are, are commenting on them, or outside of social media, um, can be more things like if you are maybe a writer, how, how many 
subscribers to your newsletter are there, or how many paid versus, if you have like a Patreon or something, how many of your listeners are paying customers. Uh, that kind of, those kind of metrics tell us uh, the difference between do you have a broad reach and that which is also great, or do you, do you have a, a, is there a lot of value and maybe you have a smaller audience, but a lot, a really high percentage of them are highly engaged with you. Does like Apple reviews still play into that? Because I know like five, five years ago or more, we'd, we'd go, how many reviews are there in Apple and how long has yeah. it been there? And then we'd be like, this is how many listeners this person has. Yeah, yeah, and I would say that still um, actually has not changed that much because that's still a really good indicator of okay, who not only listens, but is going to go out of, out of their way. It's like um, loving a favorite restaurant or bar or something. It's like, if you're going to go write a rave review, you got to really, right. um, to take that action step is, is, a, is a big indicator. Right, and then I guess you might also like try that better help subscription or exactly. whatever else. You're exactly. like someone that's going to do the next, the next action when the host right. asks them to. Yeah, definitely. So there's a good, good argument for like, keep asking your listeners to review you in iTunes because in Apple Podcasts. Oh my God, it's been Apple Podcasts for like five years now. Um, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, so, so networks are still looking at like the number of reviews you've got and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And then another thing is, um, is, is looking for consistency, I think, in your audience growth. You know, there's, whether that might be something big happens and you kind of skyrocket, it's, it's more signs, we're looking more for signs of stickiness and, and kind of consistency in that and not, um, not necessarily going viral, but um, not having a ton of people stick around for it. Um, so I think just almost a lot of times slow and steady um, is, is, you know, what we like to see. And I think that's a common theme through a lot of these, uh, these bullets here. But um, I think we, we talked a little bit about having like a, a thing that, that exists, you know, not just an idea on paper, but like a proof of concept, whether it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a fully produced pilot or, or a ton of episodes or anything, but, um, but kind of does your pitch or idea exist already in a, in a more um, developed form? Um, and then well, and things pitching, people pitching us, even when it's like celebrities coming through big agencies and stuff yeah. like that, the big thing you, I'm often screening for is, is like, do they understand how much work this is going to be and will they, will they make more than five episodes of it and like that, that commitment level. So if you've already put something out there and probing consistency, that's, that's a huge, uh, yeah. huge green flag. Yes, what, which is perfectly goes into our last point, which is... Um, uh, definitely looking for like long-term relationship potential here. Um, you know, really looking for that signs of someone is in this and will do is gonna wants to do the work. Really, um, I think you know. I think you'll probably touch on this a lot, Harry. But it's it's definitely a slog. It's not easy. It's a ton of time and work that people don't realize. And um, and you know, yeah. I think more than five episodes is a, is a good thing where it's like showing that you know there's you're you're really in it for the long run. And and it's it's a kind of a mutual thing, right? We're looking. We want to be in it for the long haul too. So, and that like eighty percent of podcasts don't make it past five episodes. Yes, it's like a real thing, and companies don't want to invest in your five episodes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyone else got like green flags or things you look for in in like finding new podcasts? Uh, yeah, I like you know an interesting idea, something that I haven't seen before. I mean. These are all exciting things, but I think, I mean, I'll talk about it more in a bit, but just the dedication and um, I don't know, being excited about your idea, being excited about the show you're making, because otherwise you'll, it'll, 
it'll get bleak pretty quickly. Allison, anything that you look for in, in like incoming pitches? Yes, absolutely. Somebody who is very excited about the idea, someone who loves doing it, someone who has um, a history of always be contenting, you know, whether that's consistently tweeting or consistently on TikTok or Instagram. Not that, not that those platforms convert to podcast listeners, but that you're constantly creating content. And because it is a huge amount of work to make a podcast episode and to make a podcast series and to make one weekly, it's a ton of work. And, and this is just, I'm just talking about a chat show, right? Not a show that has like reporters flying places to interview people and investigative journalism or scripted fiction. I'm talking about Shirley and I sitting together or you know, on Riverside FM making a show. And you know, you've got to think about, you've got to make cover art. You've got to submit it to the, the, um, the listening apps. You have to think about music. You have, to, you have to care about telling a story. You can't just sit down and talk about something because that's boring. You've got to have a structure. You know, If there's a structure that listeners can count on, those are things that I listen for that to me mean that's a quality podcast with you know, greater potential. How's the, the, like, the conversion from social change? Like, wh where do you want a huge social audience and, and feel comfortable like these people will come to podcasting, Shelley? I, I think it's less about any specific platform, and it goes back to um, does, your, does your brand across kind of everything you do match with the people that you're trying to reach or so? So, you know, if you're... Um, I'm trying to think of a good example on the spot, but... Uh, yeah, I, overall, I think social has changed a lot in, in, in the past few years, but it's still always a really strong indicator of, um, you know, we, we launched a show recently with um, Tinks, who was very viral on TikTok, and things like that don't necessarily always translate, but it's that um, she created a podcast that was exactly what her listeners, and, or sorry, her fans on TikTok wanted. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of more what is important, is, is matching... The, the thing that you're delivering to your audience. Right. And, yeah, in audio form, it doesn't match what you've built for yourself on another platform. And that either. could be a thing with podcasting where people will do it because they want to, to pursue some other interest that's not their core brand. Right, and like that's Jonathan Van Ness's one is about like uh, academic mm -hmm. uh, interests and like learning about science and things. Jonathan and Van Ness is the uh, hair guy on Queer Eye for oh, the Straight Guy. thank you. <laughs> uh, and his fans, like you see the episodes spike. Anytime there's something that's that's on brand, that's like fashion, makeup, beauty, there'll be tons more listeners because that's what uh, Jonathan's fans are actually interested in. And they'll come for his podcast generally, but they'll really turn out for the, the right. thing that they know uh, Jonathan for. Right, which, which I think goes back to a little bit to what we were talking about, where it depends overall on what your goal is, though. And you know, if you're looking to reach just a smaller subset of your fans that are specifically interested in academic topics or in, in Jonathan's case or um, whatever it may be that's that's also great and fine it just has to you know the expectations need to match up with um, with you know knowing that you're, you're gonna probably not have as big of an audience as you would have if you're right. doing doing the thing that you're known for I'll, I'll also say one more we're talking green flags uh, content wise production value and you don't have to have a lot to have production value, but like knowing if you record three hours of a podcast and you can look at that and be like, I could take 
some of some I could take some of this out of there and present my fans and my listeners with the best possible version of it. You know, that's all that's all it really takes. And you don't need an editor like a you don't need to hire anyone. It just, but it, it just adds to the amount of work that it makes to make a a podcast that people enjoy listening to. Uh, it's it's very I've heard a lot of podcasts from very interesting or famous people that are just so boring and just just sound like they don't care and that is an immediate turnoff. Name them. Uh, Call them out. Come, come see me after the <laughs> side. I, uh, we'll move on to Harry's. Uh, so putting this panel together, we wanted to talk about like audience and money and data and we were all talking about like which, which areas we wanted to talk about and Harry just ruined it with like this hippy-dippy angle. Yeah, man. Who needs money, man? I'm all about love and art. Uh, he has rich parents. <laughs> yeah, I know. As a trust fund kid, I think that you should all have a trust fund if you want to start a podcast. Um, no, I mean, I... I uh, okay, here's who I am. My name's Harry. I, before I worked in podcasting, I had a podcast for a very long time that I would do... One of my favorite types of podcast is a podcast that comes out every week and that nobody listens to and that you're just doing because you're very passionate about it and because you want to make a community, you want to make friends... You want to like meet people who are like-minded, and it's a very pure... There's a guy on the third row just shaking his head at you. I love this. <laughs> no, listen, I suck, and feel free to come over no? to the side and tell me that afterwards. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a... If you're going... It's a job. I mean, making a podcast is a job. And even if it's a hobby, it's a job. And um, what is a hobby but a job you don't get paid for? So you should think about it that way, maybe. And I'll tell you a little story about a time that happened with me, kind of, on the next slide. <laughs> well, passion, that's my game. Um, so I, I worked, so I made a podcast for a long time that nobody listened to. It's been scrubbed from the internet, so don't even try to find it if you wanted to. But uh, I, I learned a lot doing it. I got into the rhythm of doing a show every week, which is, which is as many of you know, is a difficult thing to do. Um, and then I, then I started working, then I was lucky enough to get a job in podcasting. I worked with Colin Anderson, uh, my, my friend and former boss, for a while. And um, while doing so, I made a show, a pilot of a show with a comedian that I enjoyed. This was in New York, uh, called Dead Eyes. That when we made the pilot and we spent a lot of time on it and really honed it and made it into, a, like, I, I thought, a very good show. Um, so I showed it to my friend and former boss, Colin Anderson. How long was it? How many minutes? Uh, it was about 30 minutes or so. Oh, okay. It was pretty short. Um, and, but we recorded, I mean, that's going back to editing. Like, my, the host of the show loves to record for like two hours with a, with a guest that is, and you can see the guest's energy levels and smile slowly fade as the, as the time goes on. But he's a great interviewer. And then from that, we take, you know, the best parts of it and we put it into a context in the show. So we made this show. It was great. I work at a. I work as I was at Earwolf. I work at a comedy podcast network. I made a great comedy podcast. Of course, that's going to get on the network. So I show it to my friend Colin, and what does Colin say? Colin oh, thanks. Gives me the big old no, thank you. And that was, you know, that was uh, that was hurt. I mean, you my need feelings. the premise of the podcast. Oh, so okay, that's actually actually a great point. It's a dumb podcast. It's about. Uh, this guy, Connor Ratliff, who was fired from a small part in the 2001 miniseries Band of Brothers because Tom Hanks, who was directing the episode, said that he had dead eyes. So the whole thing is him trying to find 
track down why that happened, talk to people about, it's a being a show about like failure and expectations, people, things not, you know, kind of what this uh, story is about. Um, and to me, that's 20 minutes of This American Life. Yeah, yeah. It's and a, to it's, you, that's uh, it's a single episode going on for like 40 episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 31. Ruthless. But, uh, so that doesn't work out. But Connor and I really love the show, and we really want to find a home for it. And we end up working with the nice people at HeadGum who, who think, who, who turn to me and they say, Colin Anderson? What, is that, what does that guy know? And then he, they said a lot of mean stuff, like actually mean personal stuff about Colin, and picked up the show. Uh, and that was, that was uh, you know, it was great. And, um, and it wasn't a big show for a long time. Like, we had a, a small but loyal fan base. We had, we were making, we knew we were making good stuff. It's slowly Harry, can, so I, can I ask you a question? So does that mean HeadGum gave you guys money to make it? HeadGum, yeah. HeadGum uh, paid Connor and I and assigned us an engineer who was this, this ended up being like the most talented of us all named Mike, so who now works at This American Life, actually, based on that um, show. So, so you weren't spending your own money at this point? No, so that's, that's another thing. Like, it was, it, this was my side gig. Like, it wasn't my, I had since gotten another job. And You've got a whole other job as a podcast executive. Listen, I'm very talented. I'm a very talented <laughs> young man, um, and people want to work with me. Meet me over the side if you want to give me some money. But I, so I, uh, yeah. So, but so, in my spare time on the side, this was during the pandemic too. So I had a good amount of spare time. We made Dead Eyes, and um, we were just doing it for because we liked the show and because we had a little money, and. Um, it slowly started to pick up an audience. Some of the audience... How big was not very big? How big was not very big? I'm not sure exactly what I'm allowed to say as far okay. as... Uh, I don't know what head, if headgum's in the crowd and will yell at me if I tell you. Oh, yeah, there he is. You can't tell us any um, numbers? Uh, you know, it was... Is it, it like 1,400? If, like if you look at the your earlier slide, it was on the lower end of that, of that thing. But not Five, the lowest 5, thing. 1,250 uh, yeah. listeners. Listen, let's not get into numbers, <laughs> all right? Let's not, I'm, not, I'm the passion guy, not the numbers guy. $143. And it was 143 <laughs> listeners. Uh, but some of those listeners became... Uh, some of them were fans of the show. People like it was about a lot about artists and um, failure, and people resonated with that. And then like it's Connor knew some people. It slowly started to pick up steam. We got some celebrities who were fans of the show that then came on the show. A big one was Seth Rogen had listened to the show, and he he got really into it, and he did an episode, and that was a big spike. And then eventually, after three, two years and you know, twenty episodes, no, thirty episodes. We, Tom Hanks heard about the show and wanted to be interviewed, and we had an interview with Tom Hanks, and it was a beautiful episode. And um, then the show went from low in the chart to top of charts, and a lot of people found the show, started, maybe started at the, at the Tom episode and then went back to the whole thing because it's a, it's, a, it's a whole journey of a, of a, of a narrative. But, um, but that was a show that, granted, a lot of privilege involved, I, will, I am a, listen, I'm a very successful man, and I do a great job at what I do, but... That's one of the takeaways of this panel. <laughs> yeah, if that, that's... Just they know took Seth that off Rogen. The, they took it off the slide, but it used to say that about me being good. Um, but yeah, no, it's, so that's a, but we stuck with it because we cared about it, because we believed in it, and, you know, if we had just listened to certain other people on this panel, you know, we wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking at you with a microphone. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate it. Well, and you didn't have the pressure of your livelihood being dependent on it. Exactly. 
yeah, it was, I mean, it was, uh, it was essentially like me in my small living room making a podcast was before and just with like more like-minded people, people that I'd met through doing other stuff like that. Like I found a community, I found people that I admired and I worked with them and it ended up being great. I'm done. T- I think, I, th- I think that's it for me. <laughs> ended up being great. Um, we've got, uh, some additional fund fundraising funding uh, models worth including, where it's it's not all just about ad sales. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> uh, were, were these things that that you involved in in kind of the early days of Dead Eyes in terms of uh, merchandise and stuff? Actually, we never Patreon? made merch. Oh. We never made a Patreon. I don't know why I spoke up. I have nothing to say on this slide. Do you guys want to know about this slide? Is this helpful at all? Or <laughs> Yes? Okay. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're kind of at, at a point where it's not quite at a scale big enough audience-wise to formally join a network, things like that. Um, I think one of the biggest main channels that, that we see a lot that people find a lot of su- success in, of course, is uh, Patreon or similar type models where, you know, you're, you're really, especially if you have, a, like we were talking about before, a really dedicated, engaged um, that audience, no matter the size, uh, relying on sort of individual support contributions there um, or, you know, subscription model type of thing. Um, and then the total flip side of that is this rise uh, that we don't need to get like too into, but, you know, the past year or two and kind of for sure the next few years will be huge for audience-based selling in the programmatic marketplaces where the size of your show matters a lot less and it's really about you know, people who are buying on, on podcasts want to reach a specific demographic, whether that's parents or whether that's millennial women, whether that's young men who play video games, whatever it is, um, that, you know, that, that rise just every single year is, is just going to keep growing. Um, and then, of course, these are, are um, more traditional, but merchandise and, and live events, you know, are definitely huge um, huge sources of, of, of making money, especially when you're kind of at a point. I think there's a stat about... What yeah. Like- yeah. So if you are um, generally, you can convert between one and five percent of your audience into Patreon subscribers, paying customers. So that's kind of a range, but that gives you an idea. And so there are some shows that um, there's a show that I love that's kind of like risen to the surface, but it's called You're Wrong About. They don't take any advertising, and they have a very robust Patreon business. And so, you know, they I think on Patreon, you're able to see how many patrons there are. Sometimes that involves more work, because if you're um, offering Patreon, that means you're offering additional content, and that means you have to make more stuff. But sometimes it doesn't. It's just like simply asking your listeners, like, hey, we want to continue to make the show. If you like the show, like, send us two bucks a month, and then you have this recurring um, income. Then if you, if you do grow and you do want to approach a network, that's also something a network can look at and go, wow, there are 100 or 500 or 1,000 people that are paying a couple bucks a month to hear this show. That means people really care about it. That means advertisers will really care about it. Um, I would say with programmatic marketplaces, I think the size does still matter because if, because programmatic advertising is the stuff that's automatically inserted and it comes at a lower, remember I talked about a $25 cost per thousand, it comes at a lower cost per thousand. So if your show's small, you're gonna get small dollars. It's just gonna be, it's, it's gonna be, you know, 20 bucks every two months or something. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't lean on that really strongly. Um, 
there there are shows though that are about um, specifically about you know eating to make yourself um, feel healthy. And there's a woman I don't remember her name. I can't reference or like um, source any of this. But like she would go to like. Um, you know, those snake oily pill maker people <laughs> that like sell supplements or whatever, right? And do an, uh, like an affiliate deal. So any, uh, however many bottles of the pills of, of she sold, she would get like 20 bucks or something because the pills were $100. So it's not straight advertising, but it's more a deal that's very specific to your audience and a very specific thing, a product that uh, your audience will be interested in. And you are paid basically for your performance. That's kind of like the Amazon affiliate link that people used to do as well, right? Where you just have a link and say, if you buy anything from Amazon, please use my link. And then that, that creator gets, gets some revenue from it. There's still a few podcasts I listen to that, that have that. So a lot of that's about like building your community and having them be very engaged with you and, and building that like public radio style sense of like you're helping make this podcast happen in a way that, that advertising maybe isn't. And so I think works, on a, works effectively on a smaller scale than you get away with for advertising. Um, I'm going to skip. Skip. There we go. Skip well, to good there. Luck. To good luck. Uh, we, we've got like six and a bit minutes left, but I wanted to leave some time for questions. So if anyone's got questions for any of the pod panel, there's one right there on the front row. And sorry to not give... Uh, Give the sound team a heads up on that. <laughs> what was the question? Oh. Hi there. Um, I was just wondering the differences and the pros and cons between being in a really niche and smaller network versus one that's much bigger. I'm currently in a smaller network, but I'm wondering when is the right time to move to something bigger? I think that um, it depends on the network, but in general, if you're at a smaller network, you're going to get more attention. You're probably going to have salespeople that actually get to tell the story of your show to advertisers, and um, because you're more important to them, right, as a smaller network. A bigger network, if you're not a big show, and if you're not a show that's made by that network, you're one of many. You'll be happily onboarded, yay, you're with this big network, and then summarily forgotten about, in my experience. Brutal, but, but probably accurate. Yeah, yeah. Anyone you can, else? You can have the cachet of, oh, I'm on this network, but you'll probably, you know, it'll be tumbleweeds, whereby you may have a better community at a smaller network. The bigger networks are probably just selling uh, bulk numbers in a, in a different way. So I think your, your thing about the smaller networks more likely to know your show and be able to go to an advertiser. Um, Alison uh, really loves this hair product and is a good fit for you and loves talking about hair and does it, does it in an articulate way, in a way that a big network will be like, Alison's podcast has 5,000 downloads. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. But if you do have a podcast and you're a woman and you talk about hair, you should talk to these two gentlemen here who do run lipstick and vinyl and may <laughs> like to represent your podcast. <laughs> shameless plug there. Yes, uh, that's so shameless, super helpful. Thank you so much for doing this panel. It's really interesting. Um, I wanted to ask, you talked about the value of having um, reviews on Apple Podcasts. And I was curious, what, you know, is there a magic number? Is it 500, 1,000 reviews? You know, what, what are you looking at to say, hey, there's a big engagement here? That's a great question. Um, and I think that it, it, part of the underlying 
biggest theme that we're thinking about through this presentation is there truthfully is not one single magic number, um, unfortunately. But uh, but I think it's it's more relative to. I, I, okay, I would say baseline is like, yeah, we probably want to see maybe over like 100 or something like that, but, um, but it's not like, okay, you have to have 1,000 reviews or something. It's, it's more about what is that relative to your actual audience size and, um, and what does that tell us about how engaged, I guess basically the, the higher the correlation means the more engaged um, the, you know, that your listeners are. Uh, because of that, you know, they're taking that extra step, right? It's like that, that means they're dedicated enough where they will do something that to support you in an even bigger way, which um, bodes well for, you know, advertisers and, and, you know, they might, if you're doing a host-run ad, um, might make them more likely to buy that product. Um, so it's more about the relationship between the number of reviews and your audience size, less so than the pure number of reviews. I'd say that um, for the, like the last 10 years in podcasting, the networks that I've been part of have been looking for shows to be between 25 and 50,000 downloads an episode as, as like to, to sell ads well. And this certainly shows that are smaller than that that sell ads well and then shows that are bigger than that that, that go crazy. But at a kind of larger network level, that's, that's what we're looking at, which I think can be super dispiriting uh, because lots of podcasts, you know, the top... Uh, what is it, like 5,000 downloads an episode puts you in the top like 0.1% of all podcasts. So there's there's like hugely successful industry-leading podcasts that are like way below the threshold for, for uh, a typical network ad sales. Um, how do you mean? Well, I think you said they're huge industry-leading podcasts well, that no, are no, like the, below 5,000 downloads. You, you could have a podcast that's getting 1,000 or 2,000 downloads a month and it's in the top fraction of a percent of all podcasts, right, but, you're, but it's you're, still too right, small for right. like a network to right. do a good job. So yeah, if you want to make money podcasting, my advice is like get a job at a podcasting company, truly, because there are so many companies now. That's where you're going to learn the craft. That's where you're going to absorb from other people. It's so hard to do alone. And there are so many companies of so many different types. If you're interested in the ad tech part of it, if you're interested in the marketing part of it, the ad sales part of it, the production part of it, rather than starting it on your own um, in a vacuum, build a community. And like Harry said, like the reason he was able to make a side project that then, you know, had Tom Hanks come on board is because of the connections he made working every day, making a podcast, working for somebody else. So that's my advice at the end of this, um, after working for other people and then building my own. Um, yeah, that, if you want it to be your living today, like apply for jobs at other places. Yeah, talk to people, reach out, find a community, and talk to people you admire, and eventually you'll have like a, a little pod, podcast family. A, pod, that's pod. a, a little pod pod. Podcast people are friendly, too. Like, if you engage with them on Twitter, like, I've found that they're very nice. Like, they'll give you their time. I'll give you mine. Um, you know, I mean, I have the cat, but I will give you my time. <laughs> but, but most pod, pod, podcast people are really approachable, I've found. It's a nice industry. Yeah, I think that's, that's stuck around like as long as podcasting's been about as long as it's, it's not an email saying I'd love to just have a download of all your information <laughs> if it's like an informed reach out and it's like I wanted to ask you about something specific then people are very open to it 
Hello, uh, my name is Ana Cruz. Um, this will have to be the last last question. Yes. Ana. Yeah, making signs already. <laughs> um, I want to understand a little bit about how the searching engine works for Apple Podcast recommendations and Spotify and Stitch. Because I noticed that the famous people are the ones that are right there in recommendations, always in the top. And I've been listening to some podcasts from people that no one knows who they are and are amazing. The content is amazing. So I feel like it's not fair sometimes that they get all the marketing and push and be on top and recommended. And even those newer podcasters or people who are knowing the TV and radio industry, they have a lot more reviews and, and more engaging. How does that work? Because I feel like we are fighting against a big wall of um, power and networking and uh, I don't know, how would you call it? <laughs> You've just described the a absolute truth of the industry and I don't think there's an answer. I think it's something that... I mean, we're starting to have charts that are like independent podcasts as a separate chart break out from just the overall one. So things like that I think are useful. I mean, finding, finding podcast discovery has been a challenge forever. Like, but if you find creators that you love, like I think people naturally like people that sound like them, right? So the more different people we have making things, and if you're finding people that sound like you, support them, review them, tell your friends about them, and um, we'll have a, you know, a, a larger opportunity with maybe a lower wall is the, my hope. I like promo swaps and things like that. I know there's a bunch of groups that, that are independent podcasts doing promo trades internally, and so... Yeah, leaning on that community. I think what the, the answer is we don't know about SEO. Yeah. Well, and companies <laughs> are going to put the famous people on their front page because that makes whoever builds the front page seem more successful. Yeah, they they're off largely bad. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a broken system. <laughs> but the good news is we're all still building. What an everybody. <laughs> it's a broken system, Harry Nelson. Uh, thanks everyone for coming. We, we better wrap it. up. Thank yeah. you very much. And we'll be around for any other questions just at the side of the stage.